Hello there everybody and welcome to the Talking City podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. My name is Dan Murphy and joining me today as ever is Mr Simon Mikowski. Si, how are you? Yeah, very well thanks Dan, how are you? I'm alright, I'm alright and now the rain has finally stopped just in time um, for the cricket. It's not only the cricket that the rain destroyed but also my roof because there's a big leak in my bedroom, which is why the bed is out behind me. I had to go on the spare bed today because there's water peeing in through my ceiling. All the upstairs lights don't work. Uh, The dog, the newly adopted dog, keeps dropping excrement around the house to an annoying degree. But other than that, all good, yeah? Otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, Otherwise, not so bad. (laughs) Going away tomorrow. But yeah, and also, as we were just saying there, the cricket, we talked about the cricket at the start of the last podcast. We we do actually have football to talk about today for a nice change of pace. But I think it would be egregious of us not to talk about that. Uh, The disappointment of the Ashes. Bloody Manchester costing the world again, eh? Yeah, it was a it was a shame after um, some very good cricket, but kind of I don't know. I got annoyed by everyone being like, "Oh, it always rains in Manchester." Um, but um, also, you kind of just think England have only got themselves to blame. Um, I know all this talk about oh, maybe we should play until ten, and I do think some of the start times yesterday were daft. But um, you know. They had it in their position to win the first test and they didn't. And they had it in their position to win the second test and they didn't. So, yeah, a bit of a shame. I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but I was absolutely um, encaptured by the women's ashes as well. That was a fantastic series that I absolutely ate up every second of that um, properly. So, and that was, you know, a, a bit of a, a contentious draw as well. Um so um yeah good good cricket and uh also very nice to see Manchester City back in action yeah absolutely absolutely they of course the Blues took to the field down in Japan on Sunday it was a Sunday morning for us all over in Manchester about eight o'clock in the evening for those um in Japan and it was a a really kind of good game in the end, given given there was two t- different teams for each half. We'll, t- we'll take the first half kind of first in the first section of the podcast. But in general, a 5-3 win for City in which they were really ran through the paces, went two goals down as we'll touch on. But as a friendly test, it couldn't have been much better for City to really gauge where they are fitness-wise to play a team who A, are 21 games into their season, uh, as fit as they're going to be, um, right, you know, I'd say in the middle of their campaign, we're coming into this game, not like City, um, just coming back off the summer holidays. Um, Jack Grealish did well to even move, let alone play football in that heat for 45 minutes, given, given the party and he's been up to over the summer and God bless him because he certainly deserved it. Um, and then, of course, a team who, unlike City's current opponents, who are obviously better teams on paper, um, Yokohama Marinos are a team who really wanted to beat City. They were a team who wanted to show what they could do. It meant something to them. Of course, a sister club of Manchester City and the City Football Group, they wanted to show what they can do in Kevin Muscat. They've got a good manager who looks to be going places and they gave City a hell of a game that, in fairness to the Blues, they did really well to come away with a winning. Yeah, um, it's one of those where sort of no one really minds... Uh, results, but it's more about performances. Um, you know, I saw one headline saying City had suffered a major embarrassment going 2 0 down, and it 
sort of like, well, they did win 5-3. But yeah, there was um, plenty of rustiness. And like you say, um, it's Yokohama kind of the weakest team on paper, um, but are also the ones that are used to playing uh, week in, week out. Um, Whereas, you know, Bayern Munich have had a rest and Atletico have had a rest just as City have had a rest. So, yeah, it will have been important um, for City to kind of get those uh, muscles pumping again. And uh, it's quite a hard test to do it against a team that's much, much fitter than you are. So, yeah, there was plenty really to um, to go at. I think, uh, you know, City are obviously a team that likes to keep the ball, so they don't often do as much running as other teams. But when they don't have the ball, their runs are more intense than um, any other side. So, you know, getting that pressing game working, which they, which they did, will have um, had quite a few of them blowing quite hard. Um, and plenty, yeah, it was just as ever with preseason, lots of kind of interesting things. Some some things might become more relevant, some things might become less relevant. But it, from you know, it looked like City conceded some pretty uh, pretty ropey goals um, in a way that you don't normally see when everyone's match fit. So there wasn't quite, there wasn't too much um, that you looked at and thought, oh, that's a worry. It was more kind of, oh, that's the first game back. Hmm. Well, exactly. That's what I wanted to kind of delve straight into. As you say, there was quite a few interesting bits and given it was two or nearly two completely different teams for each half, we will stick um, you know each half into each part of the podcast. So with the first half, of course, City got two goals down. It was quite a sluggish and sloppy start, I think it's fair to say. I think Yokohama... Um, really kind of took the game to City. They got a lot of pace in, in that forward line um, on the first goal scorer, Fernandez, uh, oh, Anderson Lopez, uh, beg your pardon, um, got the opener. He was rapid. Uh, Elba, the wingo, was really fast. And the way they moved the ball up the pitch, they, they were getting from their own box to City's box within three or four passes. It was really impressive. And, you know, they were taking advantage of, you know, a slight sloppiness from City. And as you say, the all three goals were kind of mistakes from City. And the first two... As you say, I think the headlines of utter embarrassment are a bit a bit far fetched. But the two, the manner of the goals they conceded in the first half were a little bit. Funny, I didn't think they'd be quite this rusty. You know, I know they've all had their holidays and they're coming back off. You know, the the greatest achievement they may ever achieve after a treble. But I did not expect them. You know, the treble winners to come back and then be conceding, getting cut open, and a player going through forty yards from goal and sticking it in the back of the net, a right back no less, and then. Um, it was Stefan Ortega in net rather than first choice Edison and he didn't have the best afternoon the first goal for Anderson Lopez coming when he parried a fairly tame shot back into the middle of the box and Lopez was able to gather it back up and stick it in the corner but Manuel Akanji had also got turned in the build up so yeah those first two goals I'm sure there will be the eye kinks that will get ironed out before too long but I don't think Guardiola had been best pleased watching it put it that way no, I think what you saw in the first half um, was how important the midfield is to City. And the midfield three was, was Calvin Phillips, Matteo Kovacic and, and James McAtee. And, you know, you will note that none of those played uh, last season in, in the big games for City. So it, it was kind of very much a work in progress. And um, City didn't have that kind of control of the game that they that they usually have and that they had in the second half when when Rodri came on and uh, looked 
you know, like like the player that that he is, which is a step above above Phillips. Um, Phillips obviously kind of determined to to prove himself and stay at City. He didn't really have the the best half. It seems kind of a bit unfair to um, you know pick on him too much for being rusty when others are rusty as well. But kind of it just showed with with how good Rodri looked, um, the standard that he still has to aspire to no absolutely Calvin Phillips was going to be my second kind of point there like you're right he, he didn't have the best half whatsoever it was a few sloppy passes I remember one point a kind of a ball was rolled to him and he let it kind of go under his foot to the other the opposition player a few you can understand one or two and I should say everyone's rusty everyone's entitled to make mistakes in pre-season but more from his perspective He's kind of quite bravely and admirably said, I'm not going anywhere. I've only been here a year. Why would I leave? I want to prove my place. I know I'm good enough to play. You know, I had injuries and whatnot. I've I've got to play catch up, but I know I'm good enough. And you can only respect someone for backing themselves like that. But when you, you know, when you have the big talk, you kind of have the walk and he's been given a chance. It's only pre-season. I'm sure there'll have more chances to come in the three games of pre-season yet. But it, was, it wasn't a promising start to this kind of revitalisation of his time at City. Until, of course, he did make the second goal, which we'll come on to in a moment. So there was at least one positive from his display. Yeah, and I, th- I think it was a sort of long crossfield ball from him that kind of got um, the ball moving for the first. And, you know, it, it's it's hard for him because he isn't Rodri and he wants to play in the same position that Rodri is or does um but what we saw from him like pressing up high for the second goal um you wouldn't find Rodri doing necessarily um and that you know it could be oh get back to where you should be and let someone else do that pressing but maybe that is a sign of how you know Phillips wants to play in the team or the role that he's been told to to do to fit to his style so I, I kind of think in this we, we we naturally say oh well he's not he's not at Rodri's level but even if he gets to the best version that he can be he won't be kind of he won't play exactly as Rodri will um so you know there will be things that Rodri does that he doesn't um but at the same time maybe there can be things that he does that uh, Rodri doesn't so it's about finding that balance um, but fundamentally in that role it's about kind of not giving the ball away in bad areas as often as as he did I know Guardiola wants Phillips to be the backup for Rodri and I think even by September last season he was kind of bemoaning how much he was having to play Rodri because Phillips had picked up that elbow injury elbow injury shoulder whichever it was in shoulder, Barcelona yeah. Yeah, shoulder. So even by September, early October, he was already frustrated with how much he had to play Rodri. And Rodri basically played every single game he was available for in the end because he didn't trust Phillips by that point. So I know he wants him to play in that holding role and help it help Rodri out when needed. But is his future maybe not in a more advanced role where the kind of the cost of losing the ball isn't quite as a isn't quite as high? And as you say, you can do that. We've seen him do it for England. We've seen him do it for Leeds, where he can be quite effective in those forward areas. He can make good forward passes and he has a good energy. He can do the press. I, I wonder if, he's, if there is a future for him at City, if it is in a more kind of advanced role. But then obviously you've got um, the new deficit, Kovacic, who will come to De Bruyne, Bernardo, Foden, hopefully Alvarez. So there's competition there for him as well. So it's just, it's hard to see him 
it's hard to see him ever becoming a regular, really. Yeah, it is. Um, I think the kind of double pivot that City have now with John Stones stepping up um, and beyond that is um, a way in which there are kind of more opportunities for, for Phillips to play than there maybe were when he joined. And it was just, can you uh, play instead of Rodri? Um, but like you say, it's it's difficult um, to see how he will oust any of those players from the team. What All he can do, um, which is all any player can do in that situation, is um, make the most of his his opportunities. Um, you know, I don't think anyone at this stage last summer would have thought that um, Grealish would basically keep folding out the team for the entire second half of the season, but he did. Um, with his level of performance, so you know the 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 opportunity is there for for Phillips if he can take it. Um, as as far as as I watched the game, he would need to do better than he did um, against Yokohama. But you know, maybe others um, who have more influence on team selection at Manchester City um, <laughs> saw saw enough in the good that he did to um, to you know still still be positive about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot can change over season, but one thing that hasn't changed over pre-season is that John Stones remains absolutely class. He was again um, doing the uh, uh, the the, mid- the inverted midfield role, doing it from centre back for the first half, which could have interesting interesting going forward if Gavadiol finally arrives or not. But he was the one who got the ball rolling for City with a fine finish. As you say, Phillips was involved in the goal. It was his crossfield pass to Grealish, who then Grealish then passed it over to Cole Palmer, who teed it for Alvarez, who laid it off for Stones to sweep into the top corner. It was a lovely goal. And you get the feeling we kind of might see a bit more Stones being a real presence in the attacking areas next season when he's got a full, you know, he's already got six months or so um, in the midfield role. It seems like it's going to continue next season. It could change it on a on a moment's notice, of course. But if he continues in that midfield, it looks like we'll see him having a much bigger influence going forward next year. And he's good at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we sort of are still surprised by it, but I think Stones is himself is a bit surprised still by by it all. But I think the surprise is that you know a few years ago when he was tried a bit further up in like a holding midfield role, it was like every touch he had. Um, he looked a bit like a fish out of water. He kept sort of like glancing over his shoulder to check who was behind him because he was a bit further forward and he didn't know. And, um, you know, every run kind of looked like, you know, when a centre-back finds themselves too far up the pitch and they're sort of like, what's gone on? How have I ended up here? Slowest step-overs in memory yeah, of man. Yeah, yeah. I need to get back to back to the edge of the box immediately. Um, whereas now Stones just seems to have the run of the pitch and just kind of, you know, just strolls anywhere he wants and picks up the ball sometimes, gives it off, you know, fires in a half volley without even sort of thinking about it. it. You saw it in the Champions League final when he just kind of bossed the game, popping up everywhere. Um, and yeah, there's, you know, more more evidence that that will, that will continue. And, you know, the big thing that um, City struggled with last season was to sort of provide enough enough runners um, into the box to to help Haaland and give City enough attacking options. And, you know, I don't think anyone thought Stones would be one of those, but um, he's showing signs that he could be another one. And generally speaking, the more kind of fluid Guardiola's teams can be, the better they they play. And and Stones kind of has the potential to be more more fluid than, than anyone else. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Well, as we said, the equaliser was scored by Alvarez, tapping in after Phillips had won the ball off the goalkeeper. And interesting starter, two starters, two youngsters who we've talked a lot about, see how they'll do this year. Cole Palmer and James McAtee. Maxi especially interesting given as we talked about last week he um is, is in the team he's not he's city have kind of rejected interest in him there's hope that he could make a real impact this year when there remains interest in Palmer of course how do you think the pair do for me McAtee looked a little over eager a little over excited made a few rash tackles if it wasn't a friendly probably would have been booked I know a couple of times the Yokohama players weren't best pleased with him when he made some late challenges um, didn't really as you say the midfield's so important and if you're not playing with Rodri and it's an experimental midfield you might be a bit hamstrung it might be interesting to see how he'd do with Rodri in there with him or De Bruyne or Ford and etc but on the other hand Palmer I, I was really impressed with I thought he continued his his, his fine form from the Euros and if he's stepping up his game maybe he will stay after all yeah McAtee I I like the look of as a player and I quite liked what I saw um, from him there was kind of that nice cross um, that Nathan Ake headed onto the bar I think sort of shortly before City got there second um, and a few, you know, promising runs. It, it's kind of harder for McAtee um, to impress in that central midfield because it is a more demanding role. You know, how how good is Phil Foden and Guardiola still hasn't really kind of moved him, moved him there. So it, it is difficult, but I think that is pretty much where City see McAtee in the team uh, rather than kind of out wide. So, you know, he's going to have to, to learn that role pretty quickly if he wants to um to to thrive in it. Um and yeah, I thought we were talking about sort of fitness earlier and Palmer looked one of the one of the fittest um in the team with obviously those kind of minutes under his belt from from England and, and you know fair play to him for saying that he wanted to be on the tour and didn't want kind of the the holiday that I'm sure he could have had um after after being with England for kind of so long into his his summer with them going all the way in the in the Euros. So yeah, I mean Mares going has kind of opened up that that right wing spot um a bit more. And and that is Palmer's kind of favourite position. And to say he wasn't great last season when he played, a lot of the time when he played, he played with Mares who you know, is one of the least flexible or was one of the least flexible players in the team because he just played right wing and that was it. Um, you know, Palmer can play centrally or left, but his the position that he enjoys the most is right wing. So it's a really interesting time for him to see if he can kick on and, and show to, to Guardiola that, yeah, he can. Um, it, it's worth keeping him around. Absolutely. And it's very interesting about Mahrez because I don't think we have actually managed to talk about him leaving have we I don't think we talked about him last uh, week or at least not, not since it definitely happened no um, it's an interesting obviously it's an interesting departure then because does City stick or twist we'll, we'll talk about Oscar Bob later he did very well in the position as well Palmer they've got players there who can do it Bernardo of course if he does stay as well do they need another wide forward and and then, or not, a word for Mares who 
I don't think was ever ever quite appreciated for how good he was in that team and how really well he fitted and the goals he contributed so many times, you know, top goal scorer two seasons ago with 24. And even though Haaland kind of overshadowed him on that front last year, he still con- he still contributed, I want to say it was like 15 goals and 17 assists or something. He was still a really key player. And it's almost a shame he didn't get on in either of the FA Cup or Champions League final because, you know, for five years was he at City and he was a really, really good player in that time. Yeah, and a hat-trick in the FA Cup semi. Um, of course, yeah. kind of made his his reputation at City for for scoring big goals in important games. I think when they made their way to the Champions League final in 2021, um, he scored kind of a lot of important, important goals. And then, yeah, was kind of City's best player between January and March this year. So that Chelsea game, I remember. Then he came. Him and Grealish came on, and they got they combined for the winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was um, he was a really special player in that first touch. I mean, oh my word! It's like every time you you saw it, he's just like, how has he trapped the ball so well? Um, and yeah, I think, like I say, he wasn't kind of the the most um, flexible. City player, he, everyone knew kind of what he could do and what he couldn't do, and you know that kind of co- cost him or went against him in the the final months of the season when you know Bernardo was was backed on that right wing because he could he could press a lot better. Um, but yeah, I think I, I saw something like um, only two players his age or older have gone for higher transfer fees. So that kind of shows what Lewandowski and Ronaldo. Well, yeah. So that's, that's not bad company to, um, to be in. And yeah, you know, he always had an army of support from, from Algeria and, you know, such a a talent for, for African footballers as well. So um, yeah, I think, you know, his contribution for City, um, but kind of for for everyone he represented, will will have been huge. And it, there was that season at Leicester as well when he when he won the league um, and played so so well. So um, you know he's won he's won a hell of a lot, and you know the the big game player that he is um, has contributed towards towards winning so much as well. So so yeah, it's um, I, I think you know City will look and see how best to replace him and I don't think replacing him is as as essential as say replacing Bernardo Silva would be if he left just because he can play uh, in more positions um, but you will lose that that leadership and that kind of mentality um, and a, a player who can who can win you big games and decide them on his own so um yeah, it, it, it's a loss for City, um, even if it is a, a decent amount of, of money to, to get for him. Absolutely. You know, it seems almost seems a bit of like an end of kind of one era of Guardiola team, which is interesting because we never really had that before in his career. It's only ever been, you know, three or four seasons, whereas now into his sixth for City, it's like we're getting new eras and we've Gundogan gone and Mahrez gone really kind of seen a new a new team and a part of that new team of course is new players in the first half a, new, a debut for Mateo Kovacic how do you think he fit in doing that kind of Gundogan position on the left there was one passage of play that I think led to a chance for Palmer City's first proper chance on target where he was kind of hounded in around the halfway line and he very elegantly kind of dribbled his way out of it before passing the ball on he you know it was a 
I think it was fair to say it was like kind of a rusty display as was as it was for everyone in that first half. Not the best tempo, but he really showed a couple of flashes of why he's been signed to basically do the Gundogan job. Yeah, I think so. Um, it was interesting listening to to David James um, speak about him and sort of saying that he he isn't really what anything like City have had before um, for his kind of ability to to bring the ball in possession through the lines rather than simply um, passing it. Um, you know, again, I don't think he will be he will do what, what Gundogan does and to kind of judge him against what Gundogan does, he might always come up short, but he will have his own things that he's he's very handy at and can do things that maybe Gundogan couldn't. So um, it, it's it's interesting. It's kind of like, you know, if, if Bernardo Silva stays and the noise around him leaving isn't kind of getting any louder... Um, it, it would be tempting to think that the city midfield could could look very very similar, like we saw in the second half against Yokohama. You have Rodri and you have Bernardo Silva and you have well, it was Foden, but say De Bruyne. Um, it looks like you know a midfield we've all seen before, but you add in say Kovacic and Foden and McAtee even uh, maybe Phillips, and it looks very very different. Um, so I think kind of that will be one of the big. Uh, talking points this season to see how the midfield evolves and whether those kind of newer players to those roles sort of adapt to to what we've seen before or whether they bring something new and whether that is good or bad or a bit of both. Well, that's 2-2 two, two at the break. We'll be back in just a minute to go through the second half. Do not go anywhere. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Talking City podcast. As we stand, it's 2-2 after the first half and there's been 10 outfield changes. Only Stefan Ortega remains on the pitch from the first half in goal. Um, otherwise, it's wholesale changes. And these changes side, they really up the tempo. We've talked a bit about Rodri already, but I think his presence just immediately makes City better, more anchored, more just capable on the ball. And, you know, it wasn't just him, it was Foden, it was Bernardo, um, it was Jao Cancelo, who we'll talk about very soon. And of course, it was Erling Haaland within three six minutes on the pitch and three touches of the ball he had put City ahead with a, a lovely thing it was a, actually a Foden free ball into him he trapped the ball he turned and then he shot across across the keeper into the far corner you know you could immediately sense within yeah, say within five minutes at the tempo of this I think they'd had two or three chances before they'd even scored here within six minutes this is obviously the, the it was a stronger of the two 11s and it was the fast. It was, I don't know how they must all be at similar fitness levels, but this this eleven maybe just got got a bit of a rollicking off the manager to you know this isn't just a friendly. You've got to go and play well, and they went out and they and they did play really well. They to say the tempo was good, the passing was sharper, and the chances were coming a lot more quickly. And I say three minutes, Harland back to doing what he does best, and you just get the sense that. He's now well rested. He's had no injury issues for a few weeks now. Loads of time to recover that the Premier League might not quite be ready for how many goals he will score once again because there's a record there to be broken and I, you wouldn't you wouldn't bet against him not doing so. I think Guardiola said after the game that he's in much better shape than he was this time last season and you know he, he arrived from Dortmund injured basically and 
um, didn't train when City started training for pre-season and didn't play in the first game and had to be looked after um, basically through, well, the whole season. Um, but now he's kind of had 12 months without getting seriously injured or injuries that you'd you'd worry about. So he's got that kind of base base fitness and um, looked very, very sharp. Um, you know, I certainly don't think there will be anyone kind of making those same same mistakes if uh, he doesn't score in the community shield again like he did last year um and i know there was a bit of chat towards the end of last season about him not scoring goals but he just kind of showed that he he will score goals because that's what what he does um you know i think Guardiola said of aguero before like he'll be scoring goals when he's 70 80 years old in the park that's just with him for for his whole life um but it looks like he'll score score plenty and yeah it was you know city scored two just before half time and then you thought oh half time's come at come at a good time for yokama but then yeah city kind of uh unleashed um uh, <laughs> their their second team and uh, it was interesting because bernardo silva went off after 75 minutes having only come on after 45 and you know with his future still uncertain you sort of like what's going on there but um again Guardiola asked about it after the game and said well you know he'd mastered the conditions and he was fully up to speed with everything so I thought I'd give someone else a try so it, it's like as plenty of them in the squad are understandably still looking for their fitness um Bernardo's clearly found found his uh which is another positive sign for City going going into the season as long as they can keep hold of him yeah, definitely. You know, Max Mopperoni came on, looked decent. I think he had one lovely one-two at one point and was unfortunate not to have anyone in the box for him to kind of set up. He looked, he looked quite sharp and he's, I think he's looked all good in his cameos. But as you say, Foden with the assist for Haaland, playing in that midfield role, it does feel like this is the time Foden this year coming. is going to be when Foden finally gets his, his central role and you get the impression that Foden and Haaland's going to be a duo with singing the praises off fairly often in the coming weeks. Yeah, I think so. Um, but also kind of, yeah, if you're looking for who's going to replace Mares on that right wing and you sort of think back to last season and that front three of Foden, Grealish and Haaland was was very, very good. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, he's a bit like Bernardo Foden, isn't he, in that he's almost too talented and versatile for his own good. He gets shipped about to wherever the team the team needs but obviously he's always um hankered for a bit of a return to to the middle and that is kind of where pep has seen his uh his long-term future so yeah i think with gundogan going i think foden is probably the one who can um replicate that relationship with harlem better than anyone else um that those two had had together because i don't think it was really a surprise that maybe gundogan's best season for city came with harland um and yeah it's just going to be nice for city to have a, a fully fit Foden from the start because he he had his his injury issues at the start of last year and and then later in the season that sort of um didn't help him to uh, to get back in the team but you know it was telling that Guardiola called for him when when De Bruyne went down in in Istanbul and he uh played played very well that night in the middle and uh yeah we we sort of said it so often, but he just—he's got so much talent that you think surely this is the year where he really 
takes his game to the next level. Yeah, 100%. And another player who's clearly got loads of talent and showed it on the pitch down in Tokyo was Jao Cancelo. He came back. He's back from Bayern Munich. His Lord spell is still um, not gone. Was kind of expected to leave at some point after the sudden um, kind of deterioration of his relationship. I'll take that three times quick with uh, Pep Guardiola um, at the start of the year. But he comes on. He interestingly comes on at right back rather than left back. It's Rico Lewis who's moved to the left. And he does really, really good. I thought he looked so sharp. He had a couple of nutmegs. He was good coming forward. And of course, he set up the fifth goal in the last seconds. A lovely pass across the face of goal for Haaland to tap in at the back post. Walker started the first half and captained the team. And obviously, there still remains uncertainty around his future. It does seem if one of the two are closer to leaving, it would be Walker with the Bayern Munich links ever loud. And obviously, they play each other on Wednesday, which could could certainly have some interesting quotes come out of that at some point with the press conferences on Tuesday. If Walker does leave, does Cancelo stay at right back? Like We know his, his downfall was so strange and so quick. And he could leave at any moment. You know, you never know, given given if a bid comes in. But only a year ago, if if not even six months ago, he was the best fullback in the Premier League. And it's like, surely he can get back to that level. And I say, it was I thought it was a promising sign here. And I don't think City could. I don't think it'd be bad if they kept Cancelo. Put it that way. Yeah, it's about a year since he got given the number seven shirt. Um, and everyone thought that would be the most kind of outrageous thing about Cancelo for the year, but uh, it quickly quickly went downhill yeah it was strange because like um on the sort of city feed of the the game and around the game there were so many positive tweets about Cancelo and you know they're not gonna be picking out negative tweets necessarily but um it was interesting how many were about Cancelo um I thought he kind of showed in part why why Guardiola was happy to let him go there was obviously all the personal stuff but you know as as fun as a nutmeg can be, it's not uh, not the best way of keeping possession or finding a, a teammate. It, it was a bit uh, <laughs> cavalier, um, the sort of loose stuff that um, City kind of cut out in the second half of the season. Uh, however, there was a lot of a lot of good stuff, and you know the assist for for Harlan was very good, and it was a committed performance. You know, you're talking about a guy who's very much on the outskirts of the the squad at the minute and you know isn't seen as someone who they're, they're counting on for the new season and a player who he, he, when things aren't going his way and when he's in those kind of positions he's not renowned for kind of buckling down and um keeping his head down and just putting in hard work but that is what he did um on the night he got 45 minutes and it looked decent enough for you know like I say many fans to be saying maybe he could have a have a role to play and and Walker is interesting because you know Walker is looks the closest to to being out the door and with Bayern uh, playing them in a few days it could be very interesting to see see what happens with that we could have a, a Leroy Sane repeat from a few years ago when everyone in Munich was convinced that Sane wouldn't play the community shield and Everyone in Manchester was convinced that he he would, and then he did, and did his uh, cruciate ligaments, and that was that was his season over, unfortunately. Um, but also Bayern Munich's transfer interest over. Um, so yeah, and with you know a, a reporter from a German paper, sort you of took the to words out my mouth. Embarrass the Tottenham manager. Will someone rock up with a Walker top in Guardiola's press conference? I honestly would love to see. It. I'd love to see what he, his reaction would be. 
I uh, I think he might have a response planned for for that. He's that kind of that kind of guy, isn't he? Um, so you know, but we know because you know Bayern Munich. That's it, obviously it wasn't Bayern Munich who did the stunt, but the whole kind of aura around Bayern is um, can be kind of abrasive for English clubs to deal with. And City certainly didn't appreciate how Bayern went about trying to sign Leroy Sane by basically talking it was a done deal until it it wasn't um, and things like that. So it, it will be interesting to see. Um, but also, if Walker does leave, then yeah, Cancelo is the only real senior fullback um, and one of the only fullbacks because you've only really got Rico Lewis and Sergio Gomez if you can still count him as a as a fullback uh, and not someone kind of further up the pitch. So it is they are short on bodies, but at the same time, it's just so difficult to see that Cancelo's got a a way back into the squad. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a, that's where I was going to go next. Obviously, the other fullbacks who played Sergio Gomez and Rico Lewis were on the same flank. Gomez coming off the back of a really impressive under twenty one Euros was kind of played on his favoured wing, uh, left wing position. He got into some good positions. His crossing didn't not the best. I don't think he beat his first man on many occasions, but he kind of got into good positions. And if he's playing in a position that's more suited to him, and he can be used there, you know, as we just said, there's a position out wide that's open. Grealish back up you never know I could you know you could see a way for him into the team there but Rico Lewis at left back was interesting because he was still doing he was still the one who was trusted to do the centre back job sorry the centre midfield job coming in from left back so and he looked really up until it was his kind of mistake that led to the third goal where he kind of had a miscommunication with Ortega and nudged the ball out of the goalkeeper's path um, for the striker to tap in apart from that he had, he had another solid game and we actually haven't seen much of Lewis um, in the last few months of the season because he kind of lost his place to Stones being absolutely incredible. So it's nice to see that his progress hasn't faltered much um, in those weeks out of the spotlight. Yeah, there was that mix-up for the the third goal, but um, I think it was solid enough, and and I think we will see lots of of Lewis this season. Um, he can play on on either flank, and obviously move forward into that uh, midfield role. At, uh, Will he's been played as a number eight by Guardiola as well, so he's kind of almost like John Stones' deputy. Um, and there are plenty of games that City will have to manoeuvre and manage. And uh, Lewis is certainly a player that you know everyone in the first team now fully respects as a first team player, um, and wouldn't have any doubts about giving him the ball or anything like that. So, yeah, I think. It's kind of it all happened very fast at the time, but Lewis is firmly a, a first team player now that will be expected to play a lot next season. Yeah, and hopefully we'll see more of him. And another another young player we might see a bit more of is Oscar Bobber in preseason at least. He came in on the right flank and he also had a really um solid showing on that flank. Um he made some good good link up player Bernardo and Cancelo was involved in that fifth goal, the fourth goal, by the way, a Rodri Rocket, of course, doing what he suddenly does best by blasting him in from the edge of the box, um, repeating his Champions League exploits. But yeah, Oscar Bob, he's really highly rated. You talked him up quite a lot on the last podcast we did. Um and he didn't disappoint even though interestingly enough he wasn't happy with his own display when asked about it afterwards he, he basically said nah I don't think I played well today which was quite you know, it's, I, I can't wait to see what he does if he does play well in his own head because I thought he did quite well it's exactly the mentality that you want though isn't it you know you think 
that they've played well, but the standards they set, they're not they're not happy with it. Um, yeah, no, he's um, he's had to wait for his chance um, to impress in this first team because he's kind of been the the standout player for the the under twenty threes over the last two years. But there are so many talents in there, and we've seen like Rico Lewis come to the first team as a largely as a result of circumstance. But there are other kind of um, exciting names in there and if, when you've been there as long as Oscar Bob has there's the potential that maybe you get bypassed but he's um, he's been patient he's held his standards and he's now got a real a real opportunity um, and the same goes for for Oscar Bob as it does Palmer on that right wing because you know Bob can play again similar to Palmer like across uh, the forward line or in midfield but there there is that opportunity there um on the wings where city are slightly shorter on numbers um to to really impress and you know it perfectly fits into what guardiola wants in terms of kind of wingers coming in off the weaker uh on on the stronger foot from the opposite wing and um the other side of Grealish really um and yeah i i thought he played very well um and i'm excited to see how he how he fares in the other two games and what kind of minutes he gets because, you know, Guardiola has to be working towards getting his strongest team together for um, for the Community Shield and then Burnley and uh, things like that. But he will still want to to sort of run the rule over Bob and see if he's worth um, keeping around as kind of a, a new member of the, the squad for um, for this season. Well, it was a match against Bayern Munich last summer that got kind of Rico Lewis's foot in the door. He really impressed in that cameo he got there um, over in America. And, you know, maybe it'll be similar on Wednesday for Oscar Bob. So that is the game, a 5-3 win for City and an exciting one. There was one player, well, one outfielder who didn't get on the pitch, but positive all the same that he was even on the bench. Kevin De Bruyne, I think there was an expectation amongst us that he's been named on the bench just just because he's there and he's in the stadium. I don't think there was any ever a possibility of him coming on. But the fact that he is so involved with the team, I'd say he's, he's tra- he was training on his own on Saturday before the game and an exercise back. But the fact that he's in there, he's on the tour, it seems like he could be back before the season even starts. It seems like there's, you know, he doesn't seem to be walking with any sort of uh, pain or he's not got any crutches or anything or whatever support you need when you've got a hamstring. So... It looks like we should hopefully be back fairly soon. If not for the start of the season, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a long wait till he's back. Yeah, it's always a bit funny, these um, friendlies, when basically like everyone who's turned up is named on the substitutes bench. Um, there didn't seem to be much chance of, uh, of De Bruyne coming on. But like you say, it is a positive that um, he was there. I would like to point you to an earlier podcast where you know, I said don't rule anything out with De Bruyne, but I would also like you to avoid. I think last week's podcast where I probably said he's not going to be in the squad to to go on tour because he, um, you know, surprised everyone by by being there. Um, and I, and I kind of think it um, it's important that he's he's there even if he's not going to play because he is continuing his his rehab and his journey back to fitness, but. You know, there is a moment at the start of the season where everyone gets back together and with Gundogan leaving, there's an obvious um, space for the, the captaincy. De Bruyne is the the longest serving player. And uh, I think it was maybe two years ago after the Euros when he um, 
he was injured and he kind of wasn't around for the start of the season when um, City were picking their captaincy options and he really fell down the pecking order. And you sort of wonder whether that was a bit related to, to him not being there, whereas this time, if he's around, he is the the experienced head in the group and he can uh, continue to sort of contribute to the squad, even if he's not on the pitch for these friendlies. So it, it's it's a good sign for for him and the club, really, that he's, um, he's both on the comeback trail and he's there with the group, um, in, enjoying sort of... Um, his, his rehabilitation. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we'll bring part two to a close there and we'll also be saying goodbye to Simon because in part three, we'll be getting some dispatches from our man in Japan, Mr. Rich Face. So stick around for that in part three. But until then, see you in a moment. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Talking City Podcast and as promised our man in Japan has joined us, a new face on these here parts but over in the land of the rising sun is Mr Rich Faye. Rich, new patch for you, not a new country, you've been there quite a lot but how are you down in Japan? Yes, fifth time I've been here so we, I mean everyone who's sort of a host here keeps on saying oh how are you enjoying your first time in Japan? And I'm like, I was, I was here five weeks ago, and I'm pretty mm-hmm. sick of it, to be honest. Um, but I don't want to be entitled journalist. Weird flex, about it. No, it's lovely. Yeah, no, it's lovely. It's like, because I've got family here, before that starts sounding like, you know, I come here every year. It's got my brother lives here, I've got a nephew here, so I've been here a lot for family occasions. But yeah, it's an absolute privilege and honour, and it's it's been really fun, actually. It's been really, really interesting and exciting to watch this uh, this City preseason tour so far, to, to be up close and, and personal, really, with the treble winners. We've had a sit-down with Ruben Diaz already. We've got another one with Rodri planned for, for tomorrow, actually. So that should come out later in the week. We've had press conferences with Pep Guardiola. And again, there'll be more of those this week as well. So yeah, it's been brilliant. It's been really hot. And there's been a hell of a lot of City fans. I've been surprised, you know. I mean, it's the cliche that everyone gets sick and tired of and you can go into your average attendances, you can go down the history books and anyone who knows and actually follows Man City knows they are a massive club. And this week has, has proven it sell out at the stadium it was annoying because the stadium I cannot emphasize complete sellout apart from a row of corporate seats that they decided to put on the side the TV cameras facing mm-hmm. which you know why 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 do yourself a disservice like that because everywhere else was sky blue and I'd say about 80 percent of the stadium were in had the, the new city shirt and most of them had Kevin De Bruyne on the back Kevin De Bruyne didn't play against Yokama so that was a bit of a kick in the teeth but yeah, it's been it's been brilliant, thank you. Um, anyone who's been following the tall diary will know about Wi-Fi issues. I was telling you before I came on air, sort of getting you update then. Basically, the day before I flew out on tour, my old work laptop broke completely. They gave me a new one, which didn't have the Wi-Fi adapter installed. So I got to Dubai Airport on sort of the layover, trying to do some work, and there was just no Wi-Fi. It just wasn't a concept. It's like when I explained to my mum, it's just not a concept. You know, it doesn't exist. So I had, to fo- I had to land in Japan on the first day. I was pretty jet-lagged anyway. Go to this hardware store called Bit Camera, seventh floor. Go find an Ethernet dongle, an Ethernet cable, the cheapest one I can, can get as well. And then I had to get this sort of makeshift set up in my hotel room, the only place that has an Ethernet cable, Ethernet port I've found in Japan so far. Phone work IT a few times. The first time they fixed my Wi-Fi issue, 
But as soon as I turned my laptop off at the end of the day, it was gone again. So they've rectified it now, but my laptop is essentially on life support. If I turn it off, the Wi-Fi is completely gone. So it's like a really bad sort of remake of speed, really, where I've got to keep the uh, laptop battery as high as possible and make sure it doesn't drop into the uh, the low power mode, really, because that and can not be disastrous. 7% or it will explode and, and there'll be nightmare. Maybe, maybe not to the extent of speed, but it certainly will make your life a lot more difficult. But, you know... You've been over there. You got to, you went to the match, of course, on Sunday. Um, York Homer Marinos versus City, and it, it ended up being you know we talked to me inside. I just talked about it extensively, dear listeners. But we'll get Rich's perspective since he was in the magnificent looking national Japan national stadium, and what a game it was! A, a surprisingly um, entertaining match because as um, I'm sure me and Sai have touched on behind the curtain, we're recording this first. Um, Marinos had uh, 21 games into their season, were a lot fitter, had quite a lot of pace on the attack. and As you incised ahead. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, they cut City apart on several occasions and got two goals from it. And, you know, it's hard, it's hard. you know, City came back to win, win comfortably in the end. But, you know, they, they were almost embarrassed. It was. It's not like it was a thing that mattered much. It was a pre-season friendly first game back and it was a challenging game back given given them Marinos was such a fit team and you know they're a part of the city group they want to play that similar way um Kevin Muscat the manager um believe has been linked with a fair few uh, football league jobs and he looks to be doing a great job and it, as a result it was it was a really entertaining match yeah and after the game Muscat said in his, his post-match press conference um basically that he could have changed their identity for a one-off match and they could have gone defensive and tried to grind out a draw and try to have frustrate City and just see how they cope defensively but he said look we're 12 13 games away from possibly another J League title how's that gonna do us any favors we want to play expansive attacking football we want to work on what we've been doing anyway and we want to work on the type of football that's gonna te- that's gonna help us get over the line in the J League like both having to sort of combat teams as there's not really any team they face as, as tough as City but Facing teams that press that high and that intensely and have you know City's quality and attack and and yeah they just want to try and work on their style of play really so I, I admire what they did and I I agree with what you said there Dan because the, the the running theme is you always say it's preseason the result doesn't matter I do think that when you're two nil down in your first game back as treble winners there is an element of embarrassment there and if City had lost. I mean, there was other chances for Yokohama in the first half. They could have had three or four. They, they got to could have got to a point where they were out of sight and City maybe didn't have the resources or the energy or didn't really want to risk too much to, to try and win it back because, you know, it's preseason. You don't want to exert yourself too much. It could have got to that stage. So I think it was important that City did show something in terms of a fight back. Even if they hadn't have won, of course they did it and they did it rather comfortably towards the end. The second half was, yeah, so. Sort of, it was a parade, really. Rodri was phenomenal. Oddly, Cancelli was pretty good as well, but against pre-season, so let's not get too carried away with that. Harlan's two goals from three touches. I thought Sergio Gomez was good. Luca Lewis was good other than his role in the third goal where he sort of collided with Ortega. There was lots of little positives to take, but this probably was... We, we've been labelling it the easiest of City's pre-season games, but it, they are a team who are fully fit and already halfway through a season. So Bayern and Atletico might be bigger names, but, you know, it might be just sort of a, they might all be on sort of the same sort of even keel, these three games. So I think it is, you know, it was far, it was certainly not a gimme. It wasn't like City just playing some some local minnows. They are playing a team who are really well respected in the region. Like we said, they've won the J-League recently, second in the J-League at the moment. Incidentally as well, I will put this out, bring us back to attendances. 
and we all know that they might as well be Celtic jibed out. There were 30,000 fans for Celtic versus Yokohama last week, which midweek, you know, there's got to be mitigation there. There were 61, nearly 62,000 for City versus Yokohama, almost doubly attendance. The growth of Man City in this region is phenomenal. And that game, it was technically a J-League game, because it was the J-League World Challenge Cup. It was the highest, we were told it was the highest ever J-League attendance. Not sure if it was just at that stadium or in general, but the promoters were very keen for us to try and be aware of that, that this was, you know, even by Japanese standards, and they are very devout fans, this was on a whole new level to anything they'd seen before. So, yes, my city mania in Tokyo at the moment. Well, City have visited um, that part of the world before. I want to say it was 2019 before COVID, wasn't it? And the growth they had, I think they played, a was it like the Premier League trophy, Asia trophy, something they played like Wolves and Villa and maybe one other team, I want to say. I think like Wolves might have pulled out. It was a weird I league. think they played Malmö Sven as well. Yeah, so they've been there before. They've been to that region of the world before, but it seems like the growth they've had in those, what is it, four years? And that obviously, you know, makes sense when you get a superstar like Haaland, you've already got De Bruyne, you've got the best manager in the world and you go and win three trophies. As you say, we've seen, we've seen the videos and photos from yourself and other journalists out there with you that uh, the one that blew my mind the most was like the the kind of shops outside the stadium, the fan stores, just absolutely chock a blocker. Fans already wearing shirts, going to buy more and getting the scarves and whatnot. And it was, yeah, you can really tell how, what was it like the early two thousands? United did this; they were the first kind of real team to really take advantage of the global market, the global fan base by extending their kind of reach into Asia, um, Australia, America, and it seems like City, you know. Obviously, couldn't do that right back then because they weren't they weren't the, the stature of the club they are today. But they are kind of following in those footsteps now to really take advantage of that and kind of you know it helps when you're winning stuff, but you're growing the growing the profile exponentially with every passing tour. It seems. Yeah, it, I mean the growth will only get bigger now. You'd expect having like he's a one a treble, so many superstars and so anecdotally you can't really measure this, but I would I've been saying it, the estimates change every time I've written about it over this week, but. The majority of fans have sort of Kevin De Bruyne shirts on. And yesterday when they read team news out, the loudest cheers were for De Bruyne and for Haaland. They got to see Haaland in the end and where every time he flashed up on the big screen, you know, he was the main one. They were getting so much excitement, but they really want to see Kevin De Bruyne. And as I'm sure we've already touched on this podcast, you know, there is a chance we could see him at some stage during preseason. So yeah, things looking up for City and for that to be the first game back. And we all know how, emotionally and physically draining like the end of last season was there's the, the signs of encouragement so far but I do think we will all sort of with respect to Yokohama sort of say they are the tougher tests are, are ahead and then you've got to hit the ground running haven't you in the in the community shield so yeah it's it's crucial that City do hit, hit the ground running next season and at the moment things looking good and as Guardiola said he thinks Haaland is fitter at this stage of pre-season than he was at, at the same stage last summer so be a new air, Premier League defences. Absolutely. Well, before the Community Shield, of course, we've got uh, two more friendly, or one more, two more friendlies, two more friendlies to go over in Asia. Um, first up is Bayern Munich on Wednesday, back at the Japan National Stadium. What are you kind of expecting from this one? Because, w- w- you know, what I was going to mention there about Marinos is that it's, you know, obviously in terms of talent and quality, they are the least team, but they're also the team that will probably care the most about these friendlies. They've got Bayern Munich and then Atletico Madrid, who'll be treating it, you know, I'm sure they'll want to win, I'm sure they'll want to do it, but they're in the same boat as City, where it's more about fitness, 
getting players back up to the right condition ahead of the season starting. Whereas Marinos, they, they were playing to win. They wanted to show what they could do on the global stage. You know, it was City fans predominantly in the stadium, but as we could hear when Marinos scored, there was a nice helping of um, uh, local supporters for their team there as well. It meant something to him. Whereas the buying game, I can imagine it being a bit more of a low intensity. Of course, they played each other last summer uh, in pre-season as well over in the States. And I believe that was Rico Lewis's time to shine. City won that match, but it was it was the game that was kind of devoured by rainstorms, if you recall, and um, absolute chaos. So hopefully a bit of a smoother match this time. But I, again, I don't think it'd be quite as entertaining as uh, Sunday's match. No, and yeah, again, I think there is a factor of the heat here. I, I mentioned, again, it's tedious to mention it every day, but it gets to sort of 33, 34 degrees every night and the humidity is really quite intense. So the quality of the game probably suits to be quite a passive sort of match and not too much intensity. It certainly got more intense on, on Sunday against Yokohama. But yeah, I think buying game will be particularly interesting. I mean, it's Thomas Tuchel against Pep Guardiola, you know. I mean, they've had some very famous meetings in the past. I don't want to go into them too much, maybe on a City podcast. And you also think of... of by Munich themselves. I mean, they were embarrassed. They were humiliated by City last season in the Champions League. They were torn apart. So some of those players might want to, I know it's pre-season, but they want to give a better account of themselves, really. There's the Kyle Walker element. I mean, there's the press conferences tomorrow. This is Jack certainly a plug well. to follow them on, on the Man, on Man City MEN because I'll be there. It's Byron up first, Thomas Muller and Thomas Tuchel speaking and then Pep Guardiola. We don't know who he's going to be joined by just yet, but well, back-to-back press conferences. We'll have open training with both. Oddly enough as well, City aren't doing a mixer when after a press conference because it's not the norm, but Bayern Munich say they are. So there could be opportunity to quiz some Bayern Munich players on what they think of Kyle Walker, what they think of Jack and Shello, and what they think of facing City again. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled on, on the end. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff happening uh, this week. And tomorrow, Tuesday, rather than UK time, that is the busiest day really of, of the tour so far. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled on Man City MEM because there's going to be a lot of content coming your way. That's awesome. It's very lovely of you to do all my kind of busy work for me. That's classic. Of course, everyone, please do keep it uh, locked on Manchester Evening News because all the latest from Rich over in Japan and us back on the ground here in England uh, getting all the match coverage and whatnot out to you. But one quick last question for you, Rich. It's one I used to always like to ask Joe whenever he goes on his travels and Simon watching the Blues is, what food have you been eating? Yeah, I've gone we, every night. I've gone as sort of stereotypically Japanese as possible, and I've got a I've got a rule where I don't like to go. I only go to restaurants where it's like sort of only locals. I don't want to be going to sort of tourist traps. So I've got a golden rule really, where if you walk in and sort of over 20 percent of the customers are, are tourists, walk straight back out. It's not a place for you really. So we've had yakiniki, which is Korean barbecue, but very popular. There's another type of food, which I, I'm sorry, it's basically a Japanese tapas. You order loads of little plates to, to your table. Um, ramen's been amazing. Konakatsu, which is like pork katsu. It's like deep fried, crispy pork with sticky rice and a really nice sauce. And I'm making, well, like on Wednesday, I'm going to go for Japanese souffle pancakes again because they are the sweet treat I love the most. But to be honest, and again, I don't want to get your violins out too much. It is so hot that I've not really had much of an appetite. You know, because it's just like baking. You just want to sort of stay hydrated. And I mean, here's, here's one for you. So today, I went to Mount Fu- went to went to basically the the the, uh, the base of Mount Fuji. Uh, had a lovely white white peach ice cream. Walked around the uh, the lake there. I think I probably got sunstroke, so I could uh, collapse at any moment now. Myself and Sam Lee went out on the lake in a pedalo. We went so far away 
that they sent a rescue speedboat to come and try and rescue us. And we had to, and he, he hooked himself onto our pedalo and we had to like unhook it and be like, no, no, we don't want to be saved. Don't save us. We don't, it's not a mayday call. And we just had to pedal. And we pedaled in this pedalo for about 45 minutes. I am absolutely knackered. I, I would not advise doing that in the bacon sun. So yeah, that's what I ate. I had a lovely peach ice cream today. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you're getting uh, an awful lot of play as well as you work over in Japan. I'm sure we're all very jealous. Please do not be a stranger. Come back to us later on this week after the buying game and then after that Flair Comedy game to give us more updates from Japan. Thank you very much for joining us, Rich. And thank you all very much, dear listeners, for tuning in to the latest episode of the Talking City podcast. We'll be back hopefully later this week after the buying game if there's enough of us on shift. If not, definitely next Monday uh, or Tuesday after the after the preseason tour is concluded of course as Rich so brilliantly put you can keep everything um, all those eyes locked on manchesterunionnews.co.uk forward slash Manchester City for all of Rich's updates from Japan and all the latest news that we can bring you back home in Manchester of course you can get us on Twitter at Man City MEN Facebook is Facebook uh, is Facebook Facebook is Facebook it's Manchester Evening News slash Manchester City we've got TikTok which I think is Manchester Evening News Man City YouTube which is growing all the time you can watch this watch this very podcast in living colour and videos of Rich down in Japan over on YouTube at Manchester Evening News Dash Man City and I think that's all we have to plug but of course thank you very much for listening give this a rate as well I'll plug the podcast you're already listening to it but give us a rating share it with your friends be nice it's nice to be nice and after that thank you everyone very much we'll talk to you soon ta-ra